Chapter Seventeen of the Wrecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wrecker by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter Seventeen. Light from the Man of War. In the early sunlight of the next day we tossed close off the buoy and saw the city sparkle in its groves about the foot of the punch-bowl and the masts clustering thick in the small harbour a good breeze which had risen with the sea carried us triumphantly through the intricacies of the passage and we had soon brought up not far from the landing-stairs i remember to have remarked an ugly horned reptile of a modern warship in the usual moorings across the port but my mind was so profoundly plunged in melancholy that i paid no heed indeed i had little time at my disposal messrs sharp and fowler had left the night before in the persuasion that i was a liar of the first magnitude the genial belief brought them aboard again with the earliest opportunity proffering help to one who had proved how little he required it and hospitality to so respectable a character i had business to mind i had some need both of assistance and diversion i liked fowler i don't know why and in short i let them do with me as they desired no creditor intervening i spent the first half of the day inquiring into the conditions of the tea and silk market under the auspices of sharp lunched with him in a private apartment at the hawaiian hotel for sharp was a teetotaler in public and about four in the afternoon was delivered into the hands of fowler this gentleman owned a bungalow on the waikiki beach and there in company with certain young bloods of honolulu i was entertained to a sea bathe indiscriminate cocktails a dinner a hula hula and to round off the night poker and assorted liquors to lose money in the small hours to pale intoxicated youth has always appeared to me a pleasure overrated in my then frame of mind i confess i found it even delightful put up my money or rather my creditors and put down fowler's champagne with equal avidity and success and awoke the next morning to a mild headache and the rather agreeable lees of the last night's excitement the young bloods many of whom were still far from sober had taken the kitchen into their own hands vice the chinaman deposed and since each was engaged upon a dish of his own and none had the least scruple in demolishing his neighbour's handiwork i became early convinced that many eggs would be broken and few omelettes made the discovery of a jug of milk and a crust of bread enabled me to stay my appetite and since it was sunday when no business could be done and the festivities were to be renewed that night in the abode of fowler it occurred to me to slip silently away and enjoy some air and solitude i turned seaward under the dead crater known as diamond head my way was for some time under the shade of certain thickets of green thorny trees dotted with houses here i enjoyed some pictures of the native life wide-eyed naked children mingled with pigs a youth asleep under a tree an old gentleman spelling through glasses his hawaiian bible the somewhat embarrassing spectacle of a lady at her bath in a spring and the glimpse of gaudy-coloured gowns in the deep shade of the houses thence i found a road along the beach itself wading in sand opposed and buffeted by the whole weight of the trade on one hand the glittering and sounding surf and the bay lively with many sails on the other precipitous arid gullies and sheer cliffs 
mounting towards the crater and the blue sky for all the companionship of skimming vessels the place struck me with a sense of solitude there came in my head what i had been told the day before at dinner of a cavern above in the bowels of the volcano a place only to be visited with the light of torches a treasure-house of the bones of priests and warriors and clamorous with the voice of an unseen river pouring seaward through the crannies of the mountain at the thought it was revealed to me suddenly how the bungalows and the fowlers and the bright busy town and crowding ships were all children of yesterday and for centuries before the obscure life of the natives with its glories and ambitions its joys and crimes and agonies had rolled unseen like the mountain river in that sea-girt place not chaldea appeared more ancient nor the pyramids of egypt more abstruse and i heard time measured by the drums and tramplings of immemorial conquests and saw myself the creature of an hour over the bankruptcy of pinkerton and dodd of montana block san francisco and the conscientious troubles of the junior partner the spirit of eternity was seen to smile to this mood of philosophic sadness my excesses of the night before no doubt contributed for more things than virtue are at times their own reward but i was greatly healed at least of my distresses and while i was yet enjoying my abstracted humour a turn of the beach brought me in view of the signal station with its watch-house and flagstaff perched on the immediate margin of a cliff the house was new and clean and bald and stood naked to the trades the breach of the surf below contributed its increment of noise and the fall of my foot in the narrow veranda passed unheard by those within there were two on whom i thus entered unexpectedly the lookout man with grizzled beard keen seaman's eyes and that brand on his countenance that comes of solitary living and a visitor an oldish oratorical fellow in the smart tropical array of the british man-o-war's man perched on a table and smoking a cigar i was made pleasantly welcome and was soon listening with amusement to the sea lawyer no if i hadn't have been born an englishman was one of his sentiments dammy i'd rather have been born a frenchy i'd like to see another nation fit to black their boots presently after he developed his views on home politics with similar trenchancy i'd rather be a brute beast than what i'd be a liberal he said carrying banners and that a pig's got more sense why look at our chief engineer they do say he carried a banner with his own hands hurrah for gladstone i suppose or down with the aristocracy what arm does the aristocracy do show me a country any good without one not the states why it's the ohm of corruption i knew a man he was a good man ohm-born who was signal quartermaster in the wyandot he told me he could never have got there if he hadn't have run with the boys told me as i'm telling you now we're all british subjects here he was going on i'm afraid i'm an american i said apologetically he seemed the least bit taken aback but recovered himself and with the ready tact of his betters paid me the usual british compliment on the riposte you don't say so he exclaimed well i give you my word of honour i'd never have guessed it nobody could tell it on you said he as though it were some form of liquor i thanked him as i always do at this particular stage with his compatriots not so much perhaps for the compliment to myself and my poor country as for the revelation which is ever fresh to me of britannic self-sufficiency and taste 
and he was so far softened by my gratitude as to add a word of praise on the american method of lacing sails you're ahead of us in lacing sails he said you can say that with a clear conscience thank you i replied i shall certainly do so at this rate we got along swimmingly and when i rose to retrace my steps to the fowlery he at once started to his feet and offered me the welcome solace of his company for the return i believe i discovered much alacrity at the idea for the creature who seemed to be unique or to represent a type like that of the dodo entertained me hugely but when he had produced his hat i found i was in the way of more than entertainment for on the ribbon i could read the legend h m s tempest i say i began when our dues were paid and we were scrambling down the path from the lookout it was your ship that picked up the men on board the flying scud wasn't it you may say so said he and a blessed good job for the flying scuds it's a godforsaken spot that midway island i've just come from there said i it was i who bought the wreck beg your pardon sir cried the sailor gentleman in the white schooner the same said i my friend saluted as though we were now for the first time formally introduced of course i continued i am rather taken up with the whole story and i wish you would tell me what you can of how the men were saved it was like this said he we had orders to call at midway after castaways and had our distance pretty nigh run down the day before we steamed half speed all night looking to make it about noon for old tootles beg your pardon sir the captain was precious scared of the place at night well there's nasty filthy currents round that midway you know as has been there and one of em must have set us down leastways about six bells when we had ought to have been miles away someone sees a sail and lo and behold there was the spars of a full-rigged brig we raised her pretty fast in the island after her and made out she was hard aground canted on her bilge and had her ensign flying union down it was breaking eye on the reef and we laid well out and sent a couple of boats i didn't go in neither only stood and looked on but it seems they was all badly scared and muddled and didn't know which end was uppermost one on em kept snivelling and wringing of his hands he come on board all of a sop like a monthly nurse that trent he come first with his hand in a bloody rag i was near him as i am to you and i could make out he was all to bits heard his breath rattle in his blooming lungs as he came down the ladder yes they was a scared lot small blame to em i say the next after trent come him as was mate goddadal i exclaimed and a good name for em too chuckled the man-o-war's man who probably confounded the word with a familiar oath a good name too only it weren't his he was a gentleman born sir as had gone masquerading one of our officers knowed him at home recognizes him steps up holds out his hand right off and says hello nori old chappie he says the other was coming up as bold as look at it didn't seem put out that's where blood tells sir well no sooner does he hear his born name given him than he turns as white as the day of judgment stares at mr seabright like he was looking at a ghost and then i give him my word of honour turned to and doubled up in a dead faint take him down to my berth says mr seabright tis poor old norrie carthew he says and what what sort of a gentleman was this mr carthew i gasped the wardroom steward told me he was come of the best blood in england was my friend's reply eaten an arrow bread and might have been a baronet no but to look at i corrected him the same as you or me was the uncompromising answer not much to look at i didn't know he was a gentleman but then i never see him cleaned up 
how was that i cried oh yes i remember he was sick all the way to frisco was he not sick or sorry or something returned my informant my belief he didn't anchor after showing up he kept close the wardroom steward what took his meals in told me he ate next to nothing and he was fetched ashore at frisco on the quiet here was how it was it seems his brother had took and died him as had the estate this one had gone in for his beer by what i could make out the old folks at home had turned rusty no one knew where he'd gone to here he was slaving in a merchant brig shipwrecked on midway and packing up his duds for a long voyage in an open boat he comes on board our ship and by god here he's a landed proprietor and maybe in parliament to-morrow it's no less than natural he should keep dark so would you and me in the same box i dare say said i but you saw more of the others to be sure says he no arm in them from what i see there was one ardy there colonial born he was and had been through a power of money there was no nonsense about ardy he'd been up and he'd come down and took it so his heart was in the right place and he was well informed and knew french and latin i believe like a native i liked that ardy he was a good-looking boy too did they say much about the wreck i asked there wasn't much to say i reckon replied the man-o-war's man it was all in the papers ardy used to yarn most about the coins he had gone through he had lived with bookmakers and jockeys and pugs and actors and all that a precious low lot added this judicious person but it's about here my horse is moored and by your leave i'll be getting ahead one moment said i is mr seabright on board no sir he's ashore to-day said the sailor i took up a bag for him to the hotel with that we parted presently after my friend overtook and passed me on a hired steed which seemed to scorn its cavalier and i was left in the dust of his passage a prey to whirling thoughts for i now stood or seemed to stand on the immediate threshold of these mysteries i knew the name of the man dixon his name was carthew i knew where the money came from that opposed us at the sale it was part of carthew's inheritance and in my gallery of illustrations to the history of the wreck one more picture hung perhaps the most dramatic of the series it showed me the deck of a warship in that distant part of the great ocean the officers and seamen looking curiously on and a man of birth and education who had been sailing under an alias on a trading brig and was now rescued from desperate peril felled like an ox by the bare sound of his own name i could not fail to be reminded of my own experience at the occidental telephone the hero of three styles dixon goddedal or carthew must be the owner of a lively or a loaded conscience and the reflection recalled to me the photograph found on board the flying scud just such a man i reasoned would be capable of just such starts and crises and i inclined to think that goddedal or carthew was the mainspring of the mystery one thing was plain as long as the tempest was in reach i must make the acquaintance of both seabright and the doctor to this end i excused myself with mr fowler returned to honolulu and passed the remainder of the day hanging vaguely round the cool verandas of the hotel it was near nine o'clock at night before i was rewarded that is the gentleman you were asking for said the clerk i beheld a man in tweeds of an incomparable languor of demeanour carrying a cane with genteel effort from the name i had looked to find a sort of viking and young ruler of the battle and the tempest and i was the more disappointed and not a little alarmed to come face to face with this impracticable type 
i believe i have the pleasure of addressing lieutenant seabright said i stepping forward oh yes replied the hero but oh i don't know you do i he spoke for all the world like lord foppington in the old play a proof of the perennial nature of man's affectations but his limping dialect i scorn to continue to reproduce it was with the intention of making myself known that i have taken this step said i entirely unabashed for impudence begets in me its like perhaps my only martial attribute we have a common subject of interest to me very lively and i believe i may be in a position to be of some service to a friend of yours to give him at least some very welcome information the last clause was a sop to my conscience i could not pretend even to myself either the power or the will to serve mr carthew but i felt sure he would like to hear the flying scud was burned i don't know i don't understand you stammered my victim i don't have any friends in honolulu don't you know the friend to whom i refer is english i replied it is mr carthew whom you picked up at midway my firm has bought the wreck i am just returned from breaking her up and to make my business quite clear to you i have a communication it is necessary i should make and have to trouble you for mr carthew's address it will be seen how rapidly i had dropped all hope of interesting the frigid british bear he on his side was plainly on thorns at my insistence i judged he was suffering torments of alarm lest i should prove an undesirable acquaintance diagnosed him for a shy dull vain unamiable animal without adequate defence a sort of dishoused snail and concluded rightly enough that he would consent to anything to bring our interview to a conclusion a moment later he had fled leaving me with a sheet of paper thus inscribed norris carthew stalbridge le carthew dorset i might have cried victory the field of battle and some of the enemy's baggage remaining in my occupation as a matter of fact my moral sufferings during the engagement had rivalled those of mr seabright i was left incapable of fresh hostilities i own that the navy of old england was for me invincible as of yore and giving up all thought of the doctor inclined to salute her veteran flag in the future from a prudent distance such was my inclination when i retired to rest and my first experience the next morning strengthened it to certainty for i had the pleasure of encountering my fair antagonist on his way on board and he honoured me with a recognition so disgustingly dry that my impatience overflowed and recalling the tactics of nelson i neglected to perceive or to return it judge of my astonishment some half hour later to receive a note of invitation from the tempest dear sir it began we are all naturally very much interested in the wreck of the flying scud and as soon as i mentioned that i had the pleasure of making your acquaintance a very general wish was expressed that you would come and dine on board it will give us all the greatest pleasure to see you to-night or in case you should be otherwise engaged to luncheon either to-morrow or to-day a note of the hours followed and the document wound up with the name of j lassells seabright under an undeniable statement that he was sincerely mine no mr lassells seabright i reflected you are not but i began to suspect that like the lady in the song you are another's you have mentioned your adventure my friend you have been blown up you have got your orders this note has been dictated and i am asked on board in spite of your melancholy protests not to meet the men and not to talk about the flying scud 
but to undergo the scrutiny of someone interested in carthew the doctor for a wager and for a second wager all this springs from your facility in giving the address i lost no time in answering the billet electing for the earliest occasion and at the appointed hour a somewhat blackguard-looking boat's crew from the nora craina conveyed me under the guns of the tempest the wardroom appeared pleased to see me seabright's brother officers in contrast to himself took a boyish interest in my cruise and much was talked of the flying scud of how she had been lost of how i had found her and of the weather the anchorage and the currents about midway island carthew was referred to more than once without embarrassment the parallel case of a late earl of aberdeen who died mate on board a yankee schooner was adduced if they told me little of the man it was because they had not much to tell and only felt an interest in his recognition and pity for his prolonged ill health i could never think the subject was avoided and it was clear that the officers far from practising concealment had nothing to conceal so far then all seemed natural and yet the doctor troubled me this was a tall rugged plain man on the wrong side of fifty already grey and with a restless mouth and bushy eyebrows he spoke seldom but then with gaiety and his great quaking silent laughter was infectious i could make out that he was at once the quiz of the wardroom and perfectly respected and i made sure that he observed me covertly it is certain i returned the compliment if carthew had feigned sickness and all seemed to point in that direction here was the man who knew all or certainly knew much his strong sterling face progressively and silently persuaded of his full knowledge that was not the mouth these were not the eyes of one who would act in ignorance or could be led at random nor again was it the face of a man squeamish in the case of malefactors there was even a touch of brutus there and something of the hanging judge in short he seemed the last character for the part assigned him in my theories and wonder and curiosity contended in my mind luncheon was over and an adjournment to the smoking-room proposed when upon a sudden impulse i burned my ships and pleading indisposition requested to consult the doctor there's nothing the matter with my body dr urquhart said i as soon as we were alone he hummed his mouth worked he regarded me steadily with his grey eyes but resolutely held his peace i want to talk to you about the flying scud of mr carthew i resumed come you must have expected this i am sure you know all you are shrewd and must have a guess that i know much how are we to stand to one another and how am i to stand to mr carthew i do not fully understand you he replied after a pause and then after another it is the spirit i refer to mr dodd the spirit of my inquiries i asked he nodded i think we are at cross purposes said i the spirit is precisely what i came in quest of i bought the flying scud at a ruinous figure run up by mr carthew through an agent and i am in consequence a bankrupt but if i have found no fortune in the wreck i have found unmistakable evidences of foul play conceive my position i am ruined through this man whom i never saw i might very well desire revenge or compensation and i think you will admit i have the means to extort either he made no sign in answer to this challenge can you not understand then i resume the spirit in which i come to one who is surely in the secret and ask him honestly and plainly how do i stand to mr carthew i must ask you to be more explicit said he 
you do not help me much i retorted but see if you can understand my conscience is not very fine spun still i have one now there are degrees of foul play to some of which i have no particular objection i am sure with mr carthew i am not at all the person to forego an advantage and i have much curiosity but on the other hand i have no taste for persecution and i ask you to believe that i am not the man to make bad worse or heap trouble on the unfortunate yes i think i understand said he suppose i pass you my word that whatever may have occurred there were excuses great excuses i may say very great it would have weight with me doctor i replied i may go further he pursued suppose i had been there or you had been there after a certain event had taken place it's a grave question what we might have done it's even a question what we could have done ourselves or take me i'll be plain with you and own that i am in possession of the facts you have a shrewd guess how i have acted in that knowledge may i ask you to judge from the character of my action something of the nature of that knowledge which i have no call nor yet no title to share with you i cannot convey a sense of the rugged conviction and judicial emphasis of dr urquhart's speech to those who did not hear him it may appear as if he fed me on enigmas to myself who heard i seemed to have received a lesson and a compliment i thank you i said i feel you have said as much as possible and more than i had any right to ask i take that as a mark of confidence which i will try to deserve i hope sir you will let me regard you as a friend he evaded my proffered friendship with a blunt proposal to rejoin the mess and yet a moment later contrived to alleviate the snub for as we entered the smoking-room he laid his hand on my shoulder with a kind familiarity i have just prescribed for mr dodd says he a glass of our madeira i have never again met dr urquhart but he wrote himself so clear upon my memory that i think i see him still and indeed i had cause to remember the man for the sake of his communication it was hard enough to make a theory fit the circumstances of the flying scud but one in which the chief actor should stand the least excused and might retain the esteem or at least the pity of a man like dr urquhart failed me utterly here at least was the end of my discoveries i learned no more till i learned all and my reader has the evidence complete is he more astute than i was or like me does he give it up End of chapter seventeen